You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 117 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Blacked Out. Vancouver's skate punk outfit Blacked Out entered 2020 armed with new songs full of melodic riffs and catchy harmonies. They inked a deal with Thousand Island Records, released a video for their song Wasted Breath, and launched a brand new merch line. Though all their upcoming tours have been canceled due to the pandemic, they are still raging on in a socially distanced and safer way through the miracle of the internet. For more information on Blacked Out, you can check them out on all the streaming platforms as well as Facebook and Instagram at Blacked Out Band. Also make sure to check out their new merch at epicmerchstore.com. That is epicmerchstore.com. Now here it is, their new single, I don't know.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hi, this is Frank Turner, and you are listening to That One Time on Tour. everybody out there in podcast land what is going on as always this is chris winnie i am your host for that one time on tour if this is your first time joining me this is my podcast where i get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation i hope you guys are doing well out there we know we're still it feels sometimes like we're at we're in end times with this pandemic that's going on but uh, I had a little bit of, uh, I'm just going to talk about on the top of the program, I have had a pretty bad week. Um, my wife and I, we, we have a dog. Her name is Lucy. She's an English bulldog. And my wife had Lucy for a couple of years when we met. And uh, my wife and I have now been together for about five years. And Lucy was getting up there in age. Uh, English bulldogs don't tend to have very long life expectancy like some other dogs. But uh we took her to the vet a couple weeks ago uh, because she was itching really bad. And uh, they said she had a couple fleas, which I don't really know if I believe that or not. They gave her some medicine and she seemed to be doing better. And uh, she started peeing everywhere and doing things that just weren't really like her. And so I took her to the vet yesterday and she had a really bad bacterial infection and some other stuff was wrong. And they had to, and we had to put her down and uh it was it was one of the worst days of my life i i i've had to put other pets down in the past but you're never quite ready for it she was a part of the family and uh my kids loved her she was so good with my kids and um this is kind of a sad thing to talk about on a podcast that's supposed to be very very you know up tempo and 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 cheery and and fun but uh yeah, I just I want to dedicate this episode to my my dog Lucy. She was a really good dog, and I'm gonna miss her. And uh, yeah, my wife and I and the kids have been kind kind of kind of bummed out, kind of upset for the last couple of days. So uh, if you guys and girls out there are like me and your dog people, you know it's 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 like losing a family member, kind of. So uh, I hope you guys are doing well out there. I hope that nobody had to go through anything like this this week because I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But uh, yes, I want to dedicate this episode to my English bulldog, Lucy. And it's kind of fitting. She's an English bulldog. And we have an Englishman on the program today. 
Today on the program, we get to speak with Frank Turner. Yes, Frank Turner. I love Frank Turner. I love his music. He's such a great guy. We had a blast talking about everything today. Uh, He's formerly from the English post-hardcore band Million Dead. I've been listening to Frank since he was in Million Dead. I love that band as well. But since their demise in 2005, he has gone on to have a very successful solo career, kind of switching genres a little bit. He's doing more of like a folksy kind of rock thing and and less post-hardcore. But uh, it's kind of cool when you listen to the... uh, to the Million Dead stuff, he's the singer in that band, and and you can really kind of, I don't know, the it doesn't feel as removed, I guess. When I used to listen to Million Dead, at first I was like, wow, he's doing this stuff now? But now that I listen to both, it's like, oh yeah, it's kind of like a natural progression. But uh, I wanted to have Frank on the show today because he, not only am I a fan, and I, you know, you guys know I'm a fanboy, and I like to have people on the show that I admire and that I like their music. But uh, he is a part of a brand new split with No Effects, another band that I just can't get enough of. I've loved him forever. Uh, and on this split, they cover each other's songs. Uh, the name of the split is West Coast versus Wessex. It is out now on Fat Records. And you guys can, you know, you can stream it on all the stuff or you can go on over to Fat, pick it up, whatever. But uh, it's really cool. We talk about that. We talk about him selling out Wembley Arena. We talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. So before I get to my conversation with Mr. Turner, I do have some sponsors. I need to thank Blacked Out, the band at the beginning of the episode. I love Blacked Out. They're out of Vancouver. And I think this is the second time they've sponsored an episode. But uh, you guys can check them out on all the all the, all the the streaming stuff. You can also check them out on the socials at Blacked Out Band. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring. James Devlin Art. James is an illustrator and a designer. He does stuff for bands and companies. He's an amazing artist. You've got to check his stuff out. Head on over to jamersdesign.com and have him do some art for you. Last but not least, my buddy Gary over at partscasterconcierge.com. Gary builds guitars, custom guitars. He consults on guitars. He can do anything that you want. If you're trying to build a guitar, he'll help you out. He built me one. I love it. So check out partscasterconcierge.com, and uh, you can also follow them on Instagram or Facebook or both. Uh, if you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode or two, hit me up. I have some great opportunities, some great episodes coming up, and I need to fill some sponsor spots. Like I said, you can get me at tototpodcast at gmail.com or at tototpodcast on all of the socials. If you want to make it really easy, all of the stuff I'm talking about, head on over to our website, our beautiful new website that Sarah over at Road Dog Supply works so hard on, tototpodcast.com. I would like to thank our Patreon producers, Mr. Bob Foster out of Hemet, California, and John Exton from Stafford, England. Thank you guys so much for being Patreon producers. If you guys want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash podcast. There's all kinds of bonus stuff over there, and I've been putting the episodes up ad-free a day early, so if you can't wait till Thursday and you don't want to hear me talking about all these different sponsors and all the stuff, head on over and become a patron. There's three different tiers, and uh, I think you'll like it, so head on over there, patreon.com forward slash podcast. 
If you want to make a one-time donation to help out your favorite podcast and your favorite podcast host, you can hit up my Venmo. It is at Christopher Swinney, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. If you want to do the coolest thing in the world and everybody can do this and it's free, subscribe, rate, and review and make sure that you know you tell people how much you love the show. Speaking of subscribing, rating, and reviewing, uh, I have a new contest that I'm going to let all you guys participate in if you feel so inclined. My good buddy Vinny Fiorello, formerly of Less Than Jake, uh, he owns Paper and Plastic Records. He does all kinds of really cool stuff. He has a brand new band coming out that's kind of like this artistic take on a band with a comic book and everything called The Inevitables. Well, he also just put out a novel. He wrote a book. It's called 619. And Vinny thought it would be really cool to give three signed copies away to the listeners of that one time on tour. So here's how we're going to do this contest. You have to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, this is an exclusive to Apple listeners. So if you, if, you don't, if you don't have Apple Podcasts, download iTunes or whatever it is, and you can do it that way. But uh, yeah, if you are on Apple Podcasts or you have iTunes and you could do it that way, Subscribe, rate, and review. Take a screenshot of your review and email it to me, tototpodcast at gmail.com. And on August 31st, I'm going to randomly draw three of the reviews out of a hat. And those three people will be contacted and you'll win a signed copy of 619. So I'd like to thank Vinny over at Paper and Plastic Records and, uh, yeah, it's going to be really cool. It's uh, it's a good book. It's really awesome. And Vinny's going to be on the program shortly again for a part two where we talk about the book and talk about all the cool stuff that he's got going on. So, like I said, if you want to win a copy of Vinny's brand new book, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot of your review. Email it, tototpodcast at gmail.com, and you might win a signed copy of 619. Okay, so I have a segment today. It's a radio segment. So cue the theme music. Radio, radio, radio. Radio, radio, radio. When I've got the music, I've got the place to go. Radio, radio, radio. Radio, radio, radio. When I've got the music in me, I've got a place to go. On this edition of TOTOT Radio, uh, I'm going to I'm going to give Frank a little more love cuz I'm going to play some songs at the end, but uh I wanted to give his his old band some love, Million Dead. And I do I think it's kind of ironic too that uh we talk a lot about this split with No Effects and the only other split No Effects has ever done is where I'm using that theme song for the radio segment, which is Radio by Rancid that no effects covered on the split that they did with rancid. And, uh, and I was kind of bummed out. I was looking for that. My son loves that song and I was looking for it on Spotify and that split is not on Spotify. I think that that was on BYO records or something. So I, I don't know. I have to listen to it on YouTube and I have the CD itself, but yeah, it was kind of, I was amazed. I couldn't find it on Spotify, but that's not what we're talking about. We're going to talk about Frank's old band million dead uh, they were active from 2000 to 2005. Like I said, post-hardcore band from England. 
Uh, two of the members came from Australia to England when the band kind of got going. But Frank sang for the band. The lyrics are amazing. Uh, I love Million Dead. They're, they're, I've been listening to them for a long, long time. I really, really like them. I never got to see them live. I was kind of bummed about that. I have seen Frank live. But uh, I wanted to play a song from his old band just to kind of familiarize you guys with what he used to do. And then at the end, you know, you'll get to hear what he's doing now. So uh, this is Million Dead with I Gave My Eyes to Stevie Wonder from 2004. I hope you guys enjoy it. million dead uh i gave my eyes to stevie wonder from 2004 i hope you guys liked that and uh for some of you guys out there that are listening to this that maybe weren't aware of frank's first band which i mean if you're a fan of frank turner i'm sure you know about million dead but i just thought it would be cool to kind of show you guys 
where he started and what he was doing back in the day and what he's doing now. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to jump into my conversation with Frank. And then at the end, we'll play some music as well. So uh, I hope you guys are having a great day. I hope this podcast finds you well. And, you know, maybe you're commuting to your job because it started back up. Maybe you're walking the dog. Maybe you're just sitting on your couch. Whatever it is, I hope that you guys enjoy this. And I hope it brings a little bit of joy to your life during these crazy times. So, like I said, without further ado, and then I actually a dude. <laughs> but without further ado, here's my conversation with the awesome Mr. Frank Turner. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Frank Turner. How are you today, Frank? Uh, I'm very well, thank you, or at least as, as well as anyone can be, really, during the what I'm calling boring apocalypse. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that off the top. I mean, I, I talked to all my all my guests. You know, uh, here in the United States, we're spiking again. It's going up pretty bad. I know you're over in the UK. How is it over there for you in the UK? Um, it's, it's a strange, strange time. I mean, we've been on very heavy lockdown since March, um, and it's starting to ease now. And some people are furious about this and some people are more behind it. Um, and we seem to have done pretty badly in terms of kind of international league tables of infection rates, and mortality and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of anger, and it's very difficult to know, um, what the right thing to think or say or do is. So, um, I'm pretty sort of, um, at sea, to be honest with you. So did it affect a lot of your plans? I mean, I know you guys were going to talk about the no effect split coming up here in a little bit, but did you have a lot of stuff planned that it kind of squashed for you? Yeah, I was on the middle of a tour anyway, so I had to cancel the end of a tour. Um, I then We had about four or five months of shows announced, which all got canceled, including Lost Evenings 4, which was the hardest thing for me. Um, but I generally tend to booked my life a year to 18 months in advance. So there was an enormous amount of other stuff that either got canceled or sort of didn't get finalized, if you like. Um, you know, from some angles, I've kind of lost my job. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I, I'm, I certainly make my living as a touring musician and that has ceased to be. So um, it's, it's effect on me has been pretty drastic. Yeah. So I know I, you know, I follow you on Instagram and I've seen some, some live streams and some stuff that you've been doing. What all have you been doing to kind of take your time up during this downtime? Um, well, I mean, I think that one of the things I realized, thankfully, pretty early on is that, um, generally speaking, I'm somebody who's kind of benefits from structure and routine in my life. Um, uh, if I don't have those things, I tend to sort of get into bad habits and waste my time and, and be unhealthy and all that kind of thing. So after, after the first couple of weeks, I started trying to kind of put some structure and routine into my day and into my week. Um, I did uh, 16 weeks of weekly shows on Thursdays doing um, live streams where I basically played through everything that I have. And it, most of them were benefits for music menus, but I also did one for my touring crew and one for my record level and merch people as well who are all suffering during this. And it was really cool. It was a really fun venture. Um, and we raised just shy of 200,000 pounds, which is pretty cool, you know? Um, uh, and it gave my week shape. I have knocked that on the head now for various reasons not least among which is the fact that I have literally played everything. Like I have run out of songs to play. Um, so it's time to sort of move forward and think of other things to do. But um, and, and there are plans coming um, imminently. But uh, yeah, you know, so I've been doing that. And then beyond that, I've been kind of trying to, 
use my time productively. I've been learning how to produce and mix properly. I've always sort of, I've always had some knowledge of like, you know, audio engineering and that kind of thing, but I've been trying to really like get into that. So if you want to have a long conversation about release time on compressors, I'm ready. I've done the same thing, man, because like I record a lot in my home studio, you know, I've been playing in my, in bands my whole life and I've, I've studied to be a recording engineer, but as far as mixing, that has always escaped me, the, the idea of a compressor, the idea of a limiter, all that stuff. So you're working on that right now? Yeah, I've been working on that a lot and, and you know, practicing mixing tunes and buying plugins and, and um, watching tutorials and that kind of thing. I think that, um, you know, in many ways, it's, there, there are many reasons why we're fortunate that this is happening now as opposed to 10 years ago, let's say. Um, and, and communication technology being one of those, if you are fortunate enough to have a laptop and all the rest of it. But one of the other things um, is that, um, you know, in terms of learning, we live in a time when you can do a lot of learning for free on the internet. Do you know what I mean? There's tons and tons of like tutorials um, and that kind of thing that you can get for free. And there's quite a lot of extra stuff you can get for not much money. So it's, it's pretty cool if you have the discipline to do that kind of thing. I considered kind of learning a language during this period of time. I think it's more constructive in a career point of view to to, to learn how to use some audio technology. But nevertheless, you know, there, there is time to do those kinds of things if you have the discipline to, to sit down and do them. So one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show and Vanessa over at Fat hooked this up is this no effects split that you guys just put out. It kind of came out of nowhere for me, at least. I, I saw it. I've listened to a lot of it. She sent it to me. It's amazing, man. And, you know, it's, it's called West Coast versus Wessex. Five covers each where you cover no effects and they cover you. Um, I would like to know how that relationship with like Fat Mike and those guys started off. Cause I mean, I know that you're in this punk world. Like I I've known about you since million dead and I followed your, I followed your solo career since then, but it just, for people that maybe aren't in the know, it seems like a strange pairing, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, this is the first thing to say about this is like one of the things that I love about it. And, and I can't really say this without sounding a little bit kind of defensive. So fuck it. I'm just going to say it <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I, I talk about punk rock quite a lot and I regard it as my kind of hinterland. It's certainly the music I grew up with and the music I love the most. You're wearing a rancid T-shirt right now. And that's one of my favorite bands <laughs> and so on and so forth. And like so but I can understand that like a kid who became aware of who I am and what I do through so, like, you know, the way I tend to be or whatever or be more kind might say to themselves, like, why is this guy talking about punk rock? And I, I get that. I understand it. But, um, you know, it is where I come from historically um and personally and all the rest of it so um and and in terms of like proving my punk rock bona fides which is a thing that i try to care about less than i actually do you know what i mean yeah. but in in terms of that like i don't think you can really top doing a split with no effects that's kind of up there yeah in terms of, like, speaking of which rancid rancid did one as well i'm sure you've heard that where they covered i each other's. bought the rancid split when it came out 18 years ago and if you told me then that the next time no effects did a split covers record it would be with me i would have shit my pants essentially <laughs> um and i kind of still am shitting my pants about it i mean so the story goes i've, I've known mike since reading festival 2010 we met there um I, I met the whole band but mike and i hit it off and um he became like you know an active fan of my music which has been it's still quite a strange thing for me to say out loud do you know what i mean yeah and like you know mike's been really cool about presenting the split as a, as a meeting between equals and i really appreciate that but there's one level on which that is empirically not true which is that mike was not listening to my music when he was a teenager yeah you know yeah. what i mean 
And like Mike did not have posters of me on his wall when he was a teenager. Um, so, you know, there is an imbalance in there. But it's super cool. Like, so we've been friends for a long time and we've hung out loads and, and talked about songs. And, and I think that's the level on which we connect as, as songwriters, do you know what I mean? Devoid of genre considerations, which incidentally, as I get older, is how I think about music much more. I think that genres are generally tags that music journalists invent to have something to argue about. Um, uh, but yeah, so last summer we were doing a bunch of festivals together in Europe. Um, which seems like another lifetime now. But anyway, yeah. we're doing festivals in Europe and um, there was a festival in Italy where it was us and then Sick of It All and then No Effects, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, Mike watched our set and then while Sick of It All were on, Mike and I were just hanging out on his bus, kind of having a drink. And he said, he was like, what, do you want to do a cover split? And I kind of went, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, because the, the other thing about it is like something I've always been a fan of is that idea of arrangement being separate from songwriting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do that with my own material quite a lot. You know, I'll do a different approach to a song and all the rest of it with songs that I wrote. And so, you know, it's clear to me that there's, there's no point in doing a cover of another song that's completely straight down the line. What's the point? You know, you might as well as the original. So the challenge for this split was to find new approaches to these already existing songs and see if I could you know, put my imprint on them or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, it was, it, it was a really, really cool idea that Mike came up with. And, and I said, yes. So, you know, you said you've been listening to them as long as I have. I mean, I'm, you and I are similar age. I was born in 78. You were born in 81. Um, listening to them your whole life and having that wealth of songs to draw from, you chose a couple that kind of made sense like Bob, but then a couple were kind of out of left field. How did you go about pairing down those songs and trying to pick the ones you wanted to cover? Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing I did, which was really awesome, was I sat down and listened to every song that they've ever recorded. Like, that, that's crazy. Which, which, which took a while, I might add. Um, you know, uh, but it, I, I, you know, I was like, let's be thorough about this. And I had some sort of comedy ideas at the beginning. Like I was like, what, you know, maybe we'll do the decline and just be like, <laughs> fuck you to the world. Um, of course, that rapidly became apparent. That was wasting much effort. Um, uh, and then, um, uh, you know, should we do fuck the kids and just like a four second song or whatever, but like, you know, I wanted to be serious about it. One of the considerations obviously was songs that I love and songs that are important to me. And there are many, many no effect songs that come, come in with that, but more important than that in a way for this project is songs where I felt I could bring something new to the table. So for example, one of the songs I spent ages messing around with was seeing double at the triple rock which i love i think it's a great great song but it's based around that riff and if you play that riff then you kind of have to play it the way they play it and if you take the riff out it's not the song and i just couldn't find an angle that was new on the song you know so it wasn't just about songs that i love i mean i love bob and in particular doing eat the meat was really important to me because that song is is big in my life um incidentally that's an interesting example because for the that was the hardest one to nail the arrangement with the with my band the sleeping souls we spent ages going around and around and around it and kept coming back to the original arrangement you know and just kind of playing it the way they played it it's got that kind of dub feel and the thing about that is like that's a sign of a great song well done then but we didn't want to just do that and in the end the code word that cracked that arrangement for us was the word fugazi i just said to the guys in my band let's play it like fugazi you know with that kind of vibe on the rhythm section and then it was like oh okay this is now a thing and this is going somewhere interesting but it took a long time to get that one right um but yeah you know and i did scavenger type because it was like i wanted to do kind of like a punk one yeah. and the thing was it's like i'm not going to do like a punk version of a regular no effect song because it's already a punk song what's the fucking point um so 
So then it was like, well, they've got this one acoustic song, <laughs> and we could do a punk version of that. So we did, and it, and I and I and that was kind of the thinking there. But um, and then the, the last one to mention actually right now is um, falling in love. Pretty much the first time me and Mike hung out after the first time we met, we were sat in a bar somewhere in LA, and I told him that I thought falling in love was one of the best songs he ever wrote, and he was kind of pleasantly surprised because he said, well, I think so too, but no one ever says that. Um, and I said, well, they're idiots then, because it is one of the best songs you've ever written, just melodically and lyrically. It's brilliant. And I, I, I remember kind of saying to him then, like, one day, man, I'm going to show the world that that's the song. And, and, and there we have it. Yeah, I mean, you did an excellent job on that. It's like very kind of haunting and just I, I love how it's put together. Now, you were mentioning trying to like find what you could add to these songs. The one thing that I always loved about No Effects, and I don't think a lot of people think about it, is kind of that genius that Mike has. A lot of the songs don't have choruses. You, you, oh, yeah. You know, like he uses a lot of weird intervals and, and, and minor chords and even like sixths and all kinds of stuff. Was Absolutely. was that kind of a, a mountain to climb when you were trying to find maybe a way to change that to fit yourself better? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, the thing is, Mike's been an influence on my songwriting over the years. So I am kind of familiar with his melodic palette and all that kind of thing anyway. And actually, one of the things during the process of doing this is I realized quite how big an influence they've been on my songwriting. <laughs> yeah. Like, for example, um, in the sleeve for the decline, there's a little note that says, don't try this at home. And I'd kind of forgotten about this, but that's kind of why I wrote a song called Try This At Home, is I wanted to kind of flip that. Similarly, like I, the song, a song of uh, mind that they cover on the split, the ballad of me and my friends has the line, we're definitely going to hell. And that was taken because no effects have that song with, you know, I'm definitely going to hell for this one. And, but that lyric doesn't feature in the song. And I remember hearing that and kind of going, you fucking idiots. If you're not going to use it, then I am, um, you know, so there's definitely been, I'm definitely very familiar with his work, but of course, yeah, it is a different thing actually playing through a song and getting under the hood, you know, and like, um, one of the things that was really interesting for me is like on Perfect Government, and I'm aware that that's covered by No Effects anyway, but yeah. it's definitely you know, it's definitely their own version of it. But like I've known that song backwards since I was like 14 years old, you know. Nevertheless, it took me a while to get my head around the time change of like the structuring of the verse. I just kind of always figured I knew how it went, and then I started playing it and being like, "How's this fucking song go?" And um, the thing that kind of solved it was was that the guys in my band um, are not. No effects aficionados. I mean, you know, they're appreciators, let's say, but they didn't they don't have the same relationship that I do. So Matt, my piano player, who's a really um uh, a really fantastic musician, you know, he sat down and said, Well, I've I've charted it out. Do you know what I mean? So this is how it goes. And I was essentially having to follow his lead <laughs> on how a song that I know really fucking well goes, which was really strange for me, but kind of cool. I remember when I was about fourteen or fifteen, maybe sixteen, my first band in high school, we were covering linoleum. And I thought I knew how to play it, but then as an adult going back to learn it, you're right. There's, you know, sometimes bands have four chords, whatever, like Fat Mike will shove in like eight or nine chords. Oh yeah. There's, and there's, there's nuance in, in there and all the rest of it. One of the other things that I found really interesting, more listening to No Effects' take on my songs is that they are a band who are masters of vocal harmony in a way. And, and the last couple of records that I've done, me and my guys have got more into structuring vocal harmony and stuff. But on my early records, there's really not very much of it because a lot of the time it was just me recording it anyway. And I wasn't all that well versed in harmony. And, Mike has said this to me actually that like the fact that there's not much on the original was really fun for them because it left the field open, you know. So there's a lot of structured vocal harmonies on their covers of my songs, which 
is really interesting to me and really creative. And also, it's fucking amazing hearing <laughs> No Effects do No Effects' thing on a song that you fucking wrote. Do you know what I mean? That's like oh, yeah. crazy. It's, it's, I mean, so the first, the first I heard of any of this stuff was when Mike sent me the finished mixes. That, incidentally, we never even discussed this. It was just understood from the word go that no one would, like, influence the other person's choices. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, cool, here's the idea, go and do your thing, and then we'll kind of reconvene when it's finished. So you didn't know you didn't know any of the songs until he sent you the mixes. And nor did Mike. Um, you know, it was just completely just like let's do our thing and then come back together. Wow. Um, which was really cool. And like, but you know, the simple fact of like listening back to their version of Substitute or whatever and hearing that guitar tone and that drum beat and that kind of vocal take or whatever on a song that I wrote with it, I laughed. Do you know what I mean? Like with with happiness. I was just cracking up, being like, this is fucking crazy. I love that you bring up that drum beat because that's one thing that always really got to me when I was young and got me into punk rock. I had Smelly on the show a couple weeks back. And, oh, nice. And I was like, dude, that drum beat, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a butt fuck, titty fuck, butt fuck, titty fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard that, but I love that. And now every time I, I hear like any punk band with that, you know, two kicks and a snare and then a kick and a snare, I, I can't get that out of yeah, my yeah. head. So thanks, Smelly, if you're listening for that. I yeah, right. It. Well, now you've passed it on. I mean, one thing I will say, and I thought this whilst listening back to all of their stuff, is like that beat, that kind of kind of beat is, is very sort of like generic within a certain type of punk rock. But actually listening to it kind of, analytically is more of an adult that you know that were like in more of an adult way i think that um smelly has a more kind of organic take on it than some for some people it's very kind of like mechanical isn't it and like he's just got a bit more feel in the way that he plays it just it, to my ears do you know what i mean it's got a kind of more of a naturalness to it which i really like and and i think that some of that comes from having sat next to him now and watched him play a number of times like he's he's a very kind of like it's got a lot of feel in a way that some of those more like um sort of regimented skate punk bands didn't do you know what i mean it's like it's it's more organic well yeah and i i mean i do demos all the time we were just talking about recording stuff and i have these you know drum program pro like programs and i'll write this fast little punk song and i'll just say oh, i'm just going to use that standard beat and it never does have that feel when it's electronic that it has when smelly or someone does that you know right exactly yeah i, I would say the other master of that beat is dave ron from lagwagon and that guy fucking one of the best drummers in the world. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. So, you know, back in the day, you were in this band that was quite different than what you do now, Million Dead. You guys put out two very well-received, critically acclaimed records. It ended in 2005. You know, we can kind of maybe talk about that some other time. I'm very interested in guys kind of like you and, you know, my friend Tim from Avail, how you guys are in these bands and then after the bands end, you find this whole other lane, which I'm sure was there the entire time because you're a songwriter. And, you know, you were talking about people that maybe find you now don't understand why you talk about punk so much. Tim's kind of the same way. He has people that just know him as Tim Barry, but then they don't know about this band avail. So yeah. when, when million dead ended in 2005, what was the catalyst? Like, how did that all start up for the solo stuff and the more folk, almost country take on what you were doing? Um, well, there, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on. And, and I mean, I have to say that, like, it, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and claim that it was, like, always in my bones to do this kind of stuff. It was definitely kind of a new venture for me. And the, probably the biggest thing is I just started listening to different types of music. You know, I, I, I grew up with, like, metal and then punk and then hardcore. And I didn't, I'd never really heard Bob Dylan. Do you know what I mean? Until I was in my mid-20s. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> you know, this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, 
but but like um so there was a lot of that i mean part of it when million dead ended kind of badly and i came out of it feeling quite burned um and at the time i think i was under the impression i'd been let down by everybody else in the band i think i'm old enough now to recognize that's not 100% how it went down but that's how I felt at the time so one of my motivations was not having to depend on anybody else you know and I had this new kind of music that I was interested in um, I have to say like you know the path of going from being in a punk band to making a solo record was much less well trod in 2005 than it is now but what the two people who had done it were Chuck Reagan and Tim Barry um, and I was a big Hot Water and a big Avail fan. And Tim, incidentally, is like one of, I, I say this a lot, I want to grow up, I want to be Tim Barry. Do you know what I mean? That I mean, I feel the same way. He was on the show last year, and I don't think there's a nicer, more respectable, honest, like, he's the best dude ever. And his music is amazing, yeah. too. It, music's amazing, and, and like I did some early doors touring with him, and I can count him as a good friend. But like he's he's definitely somebody I look up to. You know what I mean? Um, but so you know, I kind of started doing all this stuff. I mean, the one thing I would say, which I'm kind of proud of, is that like at the time I sort of acted like I had a plan, and everyone thought I was crazy. Like, I mean, genuinely, people laughed me out of offices and stuff like this when I said I'm going to do an acoustic record. I've been a million dead, and everyone was like, "You are fucking out of your mind." So. I thought I had a plan. Everyone else thought it was crazy. Now, looking back, everybody thinks I must have had a plan. And I look back and think I must have been crazy because, <laughs> like, you know, it's definitely sort of, I mean, we're talking about 15 years ago. It's difficult yeah. for me some days to kind of, like, remember quite what my motivation was. But the good thing about that to me is that it feels very artistically pure to me. Do you know what I mean? I had a noise. I had an idea. And I wanted to do it. And it's, you know, again, I'm going to sound offensive saying this, but some people have sort of made out that, like, I made this choice that I wanted to be more commercially successful or whatever. And whilst it has worked out that way, that definitely wasn't true at the time because, like, no one fucking cared. I went from playing to, like, 600 people a night with Million Dead to playing to three people a night solo. Like, it was, it was, a, it was a bad creative, sorry, bad, like, commercial decision at the time. But, you know, I look back at it and it's like, well, I w it was quite pure. Do you know what I mean? It was like I had an art. I had a sound, I had these songs I wanted to share, and then I fucking did and didn't take no for an answer. And I'm kind of proud of that. So doing that, you signed your deal in 2006. When did it start to kind of feel like things were getting bigger? Like it was starting to take off a little bit more? Um, I think the thing for me was that it was it was slow. It was an organic thing. And the way that at the time there were moments definitely when it was kind of frustrating. Like there was a bar I started playing around called Nambuka in North London. Some of the other people playing in that bar got signed for like a shitload of money and then suddenly their first album went to number one and they were on the radio and they were in every magazine and everything. And I signed a very, very small indie deal and did an EP that sold like two thousand copies. Um and you know, and it, there were times when I was pretty frustrated by that, I'll be honest with you. But like actually um, so much of what happened for me happened in a word of mouth kind of way and in a very slow, organic way. There was definitely a moment when I had a song on the radio with my second album in 2008. Um, and then, you know, festival appearances helped a lot. And there were a couple of magazines that wrote about me here and there. But for the most part, it was definitely a kind of person-to-person -person thing, you know, because I toured so much that, like, you know, one person would enjoy it and I'd be back around again two months later and they'd bring three friends with them or whatever. And it just kind of built in that way. And, and as frustrating as that was at certain points in retrospect, I'm kind of glad about it because it, it feels like there's a stronger foundation for my career. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I think that a lot of, if, if you kind of get told about a band, get it shoved down your throat by like the industry, your allegiance to it is pretty skin deep. You know what I mean? And like, um, whereas if you, if you feel ownership of something, then, then you're more attached to it. When Tim was on the program, we were talking about kind of that overlap when you do something like that of fans from your old stuff. Did you notice at the beginning or throughout any of the time 
like any kind of backlash from Million Dead fans or were there a lot at your shows? I mean, even at the beginning, I know you said play to three people, but like what was the consensus of people that kind of dug what you did before into what you were doing now? I, I operated on the assumption that no one was going to cross over with me. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that just seemed like the safe psychological thing to do. Like, cool, we're starting from zero here. Some people, there are definitely people who checked it out. I definitely got gigs at the beginning because I was like Frank Turner in brackets, X million dead underneath, um, which was cool to, for a time. There was a moment when that started getting kind of annoying. Um, uh, but, you know, I, like, for example, there was a tour I did in 2008 when I opened for a band called Biffy Claro, who um, are old friends and uh, who toured with Million Dead a bunch and stuff. And, and they offered me an opening slot on a tour. And that was kind of an interesting tour because it was kind of like the final drawing of the line under the Million Dead thing because now everybody knew what I was doing. I remember one night on that tour kind of being like, I used to be a Million Dead and then we broke up. And someone in the crowd was like, what? <laughs> I was like, dude, it was three years ago. Um, you know what I mean? So, it, that, but that's kind of solidified all of that, drew a line under it. Um, uh, it it was, uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, some people checked it out, some people went into it, and that's completely legit, you know? It's a very difficult musical project. So I was looking, poking around on the internet, trying to find stuff, because I've been a fan for a long time, but I know that it's a little bit bigger in the UK than maybe it is here in the States. Uh, you played Wembley Arena. That's... Pretty, that's pretty insane, right? Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I mean, the reason we did Wembley Arena is because the next largest, that's 12,000 capacity. The next biggest venue in London is like 5,000 capacity at, at Hammersmith. And I played there and we sold it out like four months in advance. And it was just like, okay, what, <laughs> where do you go now? Kind of thing. So so we, we and we booked it kind of as a like, I mean, is this going to work kind of vibe? And it did. And, you know, we sold it out and that was a huge moment in my career and and um we put a lot of effort into trying to make it not feel like an arena show do you know what i mean like my buddy jay opened up with his guitar and stuff and you know just trying to kind of make it get everyone to chill out it's like guys guys it's okay it's okay but we sold it out and that's pretty cool well i even i was watching last night because i know there's a live dvd of of that show and it did feel almost club-like because when i was watching you guys play you're not spread out like a football field apart. You're, you're kind of down closer together. And for a couple of times I had to like rewind and watch and be like, Oh, that is Wembley. Cause it felt very, it felt more intimate than anything I'd ever seen at Wembley before. Yeah. That, I mean, that was kind of the plan, you know, was to, to just sort of, um, I didn't want it to be like a big change. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want to be like, cool. Now I'm, throwing away everything that got me to this point. It was interesting writing the set list for it because I, initially I kind of went in with this like, well, now I'm doing an arena show. It has to be totally different. And then after a while, I was like, what am I even talking about? That's ridiculous. It needs, it doesn't want to be exactly the same, but it should be a continuation because that's how I fucking got here. So, you know, uh, don't throw it away, you know? So uh, I know that Billy Bragg got up and did a Bob Dylan song. You were talking about Bob Dylan earlier. Uh, yeah. The times they are changing. I'm sure you were probably a Billy Bragg fan. How did that feel to kind of have a guy of that caliber up there with you? I, it felt great. And Billy opened, he was the main support for the show as well. He, he was on right before us. Um, Bill, Bill's a wonderful guy and he's got this incredible um, uh, like knowledge of an interest in the underground, which for somebody of his age, and I don't mean that in a rude way, but like, you know, I saw an interview with Loud and Wainwright where somebody asked him about new music and he was like, I don't give a fuck, I'm 70. And that's kind of le legitimate to a degree, whereas Billy knows what's happening on the underground in a way that's really admirable to me. And I was really nervous about asking him to be to play before me on the bill. And he was like, yeah, sure, no problem. The one thing I should say is that in that uh, 
Dylan song that we did, he was the one who fucked up the words, not me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Maybe Billy will listen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll concede it. He'll concede it. So uh, playing Wembley, you know, we were just talking about that. That has to be a really big deal. I mean, it would be a big deal for me or for anybody. There's just such a storied history there. What's it like backstage? Are there like pictures of Queen on the wall and stuff like that? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty kind of like cavernous back there. I don't. To be honest, I don't remember too much. But there's just long corridors. That's my memory. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but uh, a fair amount of space. I mean, I think I could have had my own dressing room part of the band if I wanted to. And it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's not the deal. Um, by the way, just very briefly, I have another interview coming in in three minutes' time. Okay, so cool. You know, uh, well, then we'll, we'll, we'll just cut to the end here. Uh, I always have listeners. I'm really enjoying this. I do apologize for bringing that well, up. Well, we'll come back, man. Sometime in the future. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Talk please, please. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, I have a listener. I, listeners always ask questions on Instagram, and the consensus pretty much for everybody was, can you tell us a Fat Mike crazy story? And we'll end the interview there. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got to think about what I'm allowed to say at this point, um, uh, because, you know, one has to be legally careful around that. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, in general, I do remember like one of the early times that we hung out, I, I played a show in LA and he came down, it was just as I signed with Epitaph, so Brett Gurowitz was around and, and Fat Mike was around and Dave Haas was around as well. And after the show, I was like having some drinks and kind of slightly schmoozy drinks and Dave and Mike went back to Mike has a dungeon in LA. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were going back to the dungeon to hang out and have a party. And they were like, Do you want to come? And I said, ah, I've got a bunch of people I've got to see. And they were like, Well, maybe later you can join or whatever. And I said, Okay, cool. So I had my smoothie drinks. And then um, I got a text from Dave that said, Help, like, please come here now. It's just the two of us and shit is getting weird. I need, like, kind of more bodies in the room. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to stop shit getting super fucking weird. And thankfully, my schmoozing moment had kind of ended. So I was like, cool, no problem. I'm in a cab. And I, I got a cab over there. And, and then we had a really nice and perfectly normal evening. But, like, as I walked in, you know, when someone says thank you with their eyes, yeah. like, Dave was like, <laughs> And, and, and yeah, so I, I think I saved his bacon that night. That's awesome. Well, hey, man, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I would love to have you back in the future. I've got so much stuff Dude, I want I to talk love, about. This is so much fun. I feel, I'm sorry that we have to cut this short, but let's do this again at some point. I'm I, 100% well, up for that. I tell you what, man, hit up the Instagram that one time on tour, and we'll connect, and we'll get you back on, man. Let's do it, my friend. It's awesome. lovely to speak to you. Yeah, and, and congratulations on the split and all the continued success you're going to have. I'm a huge fan, and uh, thank you so much, man. Have a great day. Hey, thank you. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah, talk to you Take later. Care. Bye. Later. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Frank Turner. I had such a great time chatting with Frank. Even though we had to call it a little bit early, uh, it was awesome, and... Uh, I've spoken with him, and yes, we are going to have him back in the future. With no time restraints, we're going to talk about everything. Hopefully dig a little bit deeper into Million Dead and just how everything kind of came about. Just to expand on everything that we talked about. And uh, I just want to make sure that you guys check out Stream, Order, whatever, the new no effects Frank Turner split West Coast versus Wessex. It's on all of the streaming platforms and also over at fatrec.com. Man, it is great. No effects did an awesome job covering Frank's songs, and Frank did an amazing job covering the no effects stuff. And I like on the conversation where he was like, you know, when he bought that that rancid no effects covers split back in the day. If someone would have told him the next time they do a cover split, you're going to be doing it. He wouldn't have believed him. 
I just, I think that's so awesome when you, you know, I don't know. Frank's just a good, humble dude. And, uh, this is a really, really good record, but all of his stuff is really, really good. Like I said, I've been a fan of his for a really long time. So, uh, yeah, check it out and make sure you check out some of Frank's other stuff as well. That's it for this week though. Next week on the program, Mr. Sam Williams from Down By Law. Down By Law is working on a brand new record, as well as Sam's other project, Black Valley Moon. Uh, If you guys don't know who Down By Law is, they're amazing. It's the band that Dave Smalley started after he stopped singing in all. And uh, they were an epitaph for a while. They were on a bunch of those like first punkorama compilations, which... It's kind of it got me thinking when I had Sam on because we were talking about the Punkorama stuff, and that's kind of how I first got turned on to Down by Law. And uh, I think I'm going to do some special bonus episodes in the future about comps because that seems to come up quite a bit on this show. How if you're you know 34 to 42 or whatever, like the the whole like bracket that I'm in right now, and you're into punk rock, chances are unless you live on the West coast. And, you know, you were going to punk shows when you were 10 years old, you probably got into punk rock from like the explosion of green day and offspring and all that stuff. Or you got into punk rock through comps. And that's kind of how it happened for me. My dad brought home, you know, like, I think it was like a three, $3 for the first punk the green cover with like the blue and the pink letters. Like my dad brought that home from this place called karma records back in the day. And he, he didn't really dig it. He, the guy, I guess was playing like an offspring song on it or something. So my dad bought it and he didn't really dig it. Cause he wasn't, he got into punk later on, which is kind of funny, like a 50 year old dude getting into punk. But, uh, yeah, he gave it to me and I just, it blew my mind. I mean, bad religion was on there. No effects. Pennywise down by law, like all these, like, I think the deviates, I'm trying to remember who all was on that first punk but it was amazing. And it changed my life. And, we talk about that so much on this program because a lot of these people are affected by those comps. All the Fat Records comps, uh, the Hopeless Records comps. I mean, it's a huge reason why I listen to what I listen to now. Bands that I found out on those comps that I paid $2 for became my favorite bands. So, yeah, I think we're going to do a special sort of some bonus episodes or something in the future on those comps. So if you guys have a comp that changed your life, that's a new one. Uh, Let me know about that. There's a there's a Facebook group I never talk about, but it's over there on the Facebook page. It's the TOTOT community. You have to kind of be approved like there's no questions or anything. Just try to get into the into the group and I will approve you. But I think we've got almost 300 people over there right now. And uh, we just do cool stuff like that. Like we had a Mount Rushmore of punk rock, like your four favorite singers that should be on the Mount Rushmore of punk rock, like stuff like that. And some of that, some of that stuff will end up coming out in segments on the show. But I think this is a new one that I want to do because it's inspired by having Sam on next week from Down by Law. I want to talk about comps. I want to know what comps changed your life. The the punk rock, I think punk bites. I think it was go-kart records. Maybe it had like this kid with a mohawk that was eating out of a cereal bowl that had all the logos for all the bands. I might be wrong on the, on the go-kart records thing, but I remember that comp and I remember all the liberation records comps. And I mean, that was it back in the day. And it, it's so sad that that doesn't really happen anymore. I guess they have like, comps on Bandcamp or like playlists or whatever, but 
God, I just remember when I would get that new Fat Records comp and normally the Fat Records stuff, they had unreleased songs or they had songs that wouldn't appear on records that would just appear on that comp. So uh, I get excited just thinking about it. But go on Facebook, uh, join the Facebook group, TOTOT podcast or TOTOT community is what it is called. And uh, man, there's so many great groups on Facebook too. Shout out to the Punk Rock Dads Facebook group, uh, the Skate Punkers Facebook group. There's just so many great ones on there. I've been kind of utilizing that to help promote the show a little bit. So I hope that you guys, if you found out about the show through one of those groups, let me know. So I know that that's working and I'm, I'm finding my people out there. So, uh, I will see you guys next week with Sam Williams from down by law. And, uh, his other band too is cool project black Valley moon. I'm going to play some of that next week as well, but that is it for this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of these amazing episodes in the coming weeks. We have some really, really cool guests. Before I jump out of here, I am uh, going to play some music. Yeah, and I do. Before I play this music, I also want to thank you guys. A lot of you guys I am personally friends with on Facebook and Instagram, not just like through the podcast, but uh, when I when I made my post yesterday about my my dog being you know passing away, you guys were super super nice and uh yeah it's it's hard i'm trying i'm trying to get through this episode and i'm trying to like be you know happy and hey it's i'm normal but it's it's weighing on me pretty hard and uh i love you guys thank you for the kind words and i hope that all of your puppies and, and kitties and ferrets and whatever you have are doing well because like i said pets are part of the family and and I mean, I have friends that don't feel that way. Like I've always been like kind of weirded out by people that aren't dog people or, you know what I mean? Or pet people. But, uh, to me, my dogs have always been family. I mean, hell I've got my dog Sloan, my little dachshund that I had for like 10 years. I had to get her put to sleep, uh, back in, I want to say 2012 or 13, 14, something like that. And I would had her for 10 years and she had epilepsy really bad. And, uh, I got her name tattooed on my arm. <laughs> so, I mean, dogs are, I don't know. I love dogs. I love pets. They're part of your family and I'm, I'm doing better, but it's, it's, it's really hard. And I really feel bad for my wife. Cause like I said, my wife had had her for a couple of years before we met. So Lucy became my dog, but uh, she was, she was really my wife's dog. And I don't know, it's, it's a bad thing. So, you know, if you got pets out there and you love them, hug them, give them some extra treats and uh, thank you guys so much for the kind words on, uh, on all the stuff that's going on in my life right now. I really appreciate it. And I feel like you're all good friends. <laughs> I don't want to get mushy or anything, but uh, it's, it's nice to have the support. So thank you guys very much. Like I said, it's time for me to jump out of here. I don't want to talk anymore. Thanks for listening. Uh, come back next week for Sam from down by law. I'm going to play two songs. I already played a million dead song. So we've got that covered. I'm going to play Frank's version of no effects eat the meek man. It's killer. It is so good. I love it. And like I said, that's on that new split out on fat records, West coast versus Wessex. Make sure to pick it up, get the vinyl, get it on CD, stream it, download it, whatever you want to do. It's worth it. It's amazing. After eat the meek, I'm going to play my favorite Frank Turner song. I still believe it has such a great chorus. It's just, it's a killer song and I love it. And you guys are going to love it too. So that's it for me. 
Hit me up on the socials. I hang out on Instagram more than anywhere else. If you need some remote guitar lessons, email me, ChristopherSwinney at gmail.com or at TOTOT Podcast on all the socials or TOTOTOTPodcast.com. I think I did too many TOs. TOTOTPodcast.com. There it is. So, peace out. I love you all. This is Chris.
arms and skins and journeymen Hey, 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 my sisters and my brethren The time is coming near Come ye, come ye, to soulless corporate circus tops Come ye, come ye, to toilet circuit touring stops Come ye, come ye, to bedrooms, bars and bunker squats The sound is ringing clear Now who'd have thought that after all Something as simple as rock and roll would save us all Now who'd have thought after all, it was rock and roll
is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.